alien in my own backyard. And such a civic-minded one, too. I think he means what he says, Lex. Well, that's just dandy, Lois. All I know is your hero did nothing to help me. I'm the one who's out a billion-dollar battlesuit. Actually, this could end up a silver lining in your pocket, couldn't it? What's that? Now that the terrorists have your prototype, the Pentagon is undoubtedly going to want you to build a bigger and better version for them. When all is said and done, this could net you a multi-billion dollar windfall. <laughs> Lois, it almost sounds as if your friend here is suggesting I should be glad my suit was stolen. You're very amusing, Mr. Kent, is it? Yes, I'll remember that. <laughs> nice work, Smallville. You're only the second person I've ever seen get under Lex's skin. Who's the first? Me, when I dumped him. Whoa. Ancient history. Anyway, what makes you think Lex might have been an accessory to the theft? I don't think it was a theft. I think he gave it away. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And welcoming back uh, another returning guest. This is your fourth time back, I think, Stacy. How you yeah. doing? fourth time yeah i feel pretty good good always glad to be here <laughs> always glad to have you back um uh stacy dukes by the way uh in case didn't make that clear uh it's funny having you back on so quickly because almost exactly after almost exactly before you messaged me about coming back on i had post i had uh re-listened to the episode that we did on dark Knight returns <laughs> yeah that's a good one that was a good one. Yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun. So definitely go yeah. back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Um, but uh, today we're going to be talking about another animated movie. Although before we get into that, one of the things I've been doing lately, uh, especially with returning guests, is kind mm -hmm. of asking you guys what's what kind of thing is really kind of like grabbing your interest right now. It can be geeky related, doesn't have to be though. But what is kind of like what are you getting kind of interested in now? Um, well, the recent, um, the recent Doctor Who special, The Power of the Doctor, I watched that. That was really fun. Jodie Whittaker's last, last uh, bow as the 13th Doctor. And um, they're setting the stage for the, the return of the debut of the next, um, the next fellow to play the character. I believe his name is Shooty. Um, I forget what his name is. Bear with me here. I'm, I'm. And <laughs> uh, I am not always hip to the jive. Uh, Shooty Gottman, he's going to be the next one. But the wrinkle is uh, the end of the special. I, do you want spoilers? Do you mind? I, I, I'm not a Doctor Who guy, so go not right a big ahead. Doctor Who guy. Yeah. Well, they they have Jodie Whittaker have this epic regeneration sequence at the end of the adventure because you know it's her time to go. And when she finishes the regeneration sequence, it's David Tennant. Mm -hmm. And something has clearly gone wrong where he, you know, he's like, I know these teeth. And then he looks at his outfit, which is kind of the same as his old outfit. He's just like, what? And so that's going to be the the thread between Jodie Whittaker and Shudi Gatwa is going to be a couple of the specials featuring David Tennant. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's an interesting swerve, to say the least. So I, I was pretty fascinated by that. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a fun, fun special. A lot of nostalgia service. If you're a mm -hmm. longtime Doctor Who fan. You know, they're setting up for the, it'll be the 60th anniversary, I think, of Doctor Who 
come November 2023. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be a pretty big milestone. But like with all things, my fandom is cyclical. Like sometimes mm. I'll be really into Star Trek. Sometimes I'll be really into Star Wars. You know, the Andor show also really fascinating. That is easily some of the best Star Wars I've seen in a while. That's what a lot of people have been saying. Yeah, because it's um, it's basically Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna, who not only plays Cassie and Andor and, you know, produces it. They basically, their team has come up with the idea of doing like, okay, this is Star Wars, but it's not, it's the prestige format series. It's more catered to older audiences. Mm-hmm. This is more for adults. And it's a really interesting exploration of life under a fascist regime but it's using star wars as kind of the sugar pill to kind of bring this in i mean you could argue that george lucas basically gave us all as kids like fisher price you know anti-fascist kit right in the form of the original trilogy (laughs) so um but yeah this has been a really it's been a really fascinating series and so yeah so those those things have been kind of on my mind how about you anything grabbing you lately um so i just want to comment a few things on what you said first uh yeah um I've been hearing so much good things about Andor because mm. the 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 Star Wars I've never been like a big Star Wars guy, right? Like I, I enjoyed the original trilogy, um, but I'm not like I ne- it never kind of grabbed me the way that it grabbed a lot of other people. Even though I did see it when I was a kid, but it was one of those things where I was kind of like, yeah, it's cool, but was never really like hardcore Star Wars guy. Um, same thing with like, uh, and so like some of the newer stuff mm-hmm. that's been coming out lately, the. Um, like I love the Mandalorian. I watched like the first episode of Book of Boba Fett, and I didn't watch mm. any more after after that because not because I didn't Fair. like it, but it just didn't. Again, didn't just didn't grab me. I didn't grab really you. Need mm-hmm. uh, I watched Obi Wan, and I like that. Um, so yeah, I've been just kind of holding off on uh, Andor, but that's something I should mm-hmm. probably check out now because from what everyone's saying, it's mm-hmm. it's probably definitely like an in my kind of wheelhouse of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's very much a slow burn, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's worth the it's worth the trip as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. Yeah. And uh, and Doctor Who that was another thing that I um I I had never had that in my childhood. That was never a thing growing up. It very every now and then I'd hear someone talk about Doctor Who here and there. I'm like, what is that? And just like nothing else came of it. And then um, probably when I first came to Japan, actually, uh, I had a friend from uh, from Scotland who she loved Doctor Who, so she mm-hmm. gave me like the you know the um, not quite legally procured <laughs> seasons of um, uh, the the reboot with uh, mm-hmm. uh, what was that Eccleston? Eccleston started yeah, yeah. and then Tennant took over after. Yeah. yeah, so I saw I saw the Eccleston stuff and I saw mm-hmm. some of the Tennant stuff, uh, not mm-hmm. too much of it. Um, but yeah, and it was entertaining enough. But again, just one of the things that never just kind of grabbed me. So those are like the two Doctor Who, especially, is like this big blind spot in uh, my fandom. Totally fair. I actually inherited my uh, Doctor Who fandom from my uncle, mm-hmm. who was a big uh, Tom Baker fan. Like he would watch the show on the Boston PBS station when we lived back in Nova Scotia. And he was a captain on um, on um, oil tankers. So mm-hmm. he would take like he would tape he would tape a bunch of them when they had those marathons on PBS. Like we need your support. And so they would run like Dr. Who marathons of entire serials mm-hmm. and back to back to back. And so I kind of watched them and I didn't really understand what was going on, but I knew that there was a cool robot dog on that show. <laughs> and I was like, I want to see more with the robot dog. Cause this was around the same time I was watching Battlestar Galactica on VHS. And so mm-hmm. I already knew what Daggett was. And I'm like, what is this? And they, the character of K9 kind of got me into it. And as I grew older, I would just watch more and more 
reruns on sin syndication and just kind of got into it. It just kind of became one of those, one of those things I kind of absorbed through a little bit of an osmosis. So was that was kind of like, that was kind of like me with the bond stuff. Cause my dad was a huge James Bond guy. And so like, and my brother had a, had a video store at the time. So he made copies from Laserdisc of like the Connery bond movies, nice. put them on like one deluxe VHS cassette. So it was just, like, I remember watching that damn thing with my dad, like, endless times. So, like, those first three Bond movies especially are, like, seared into my memory because of that. Um, and that really kind of, like, that really kind of started me on Bond. So, and, yeah, that was very similar thing with the osmosis stuff. Um, but the thing that I've been kind of into lately, I haven't had a whole lot of time lately just because... I've started a new workout regime and so I've been going to the gym like three days a week and then nice. combine that with um, just like work and all this kind of stuff. And I started a new gig uh, with a, working with a, a small comic publisher doing some lettering work for them. So nice. just been, it's been really busy lately. Uh, so I haven't had a lot of time, but the time mm. I have had, um, are you a video game guy at all? A little bit. I mean, I'm not as hardcore as some, but I, I dip in and out. Yeah, same thing. Um, but have you ever played the Yakuza games? I have heard of them, but I haven't played them. I, I think they're similar to Grand Theft Auto, right? Kind of in that in same a, vein of like... Yeah, it's it's this weird, it's this interesting mix between like Grand Theft Auto and like JRPG oh. set in, in Japan. And it's like, it's... If you ever played the Persona games, though, it's much more similar to those, probably mm. like very, like very kind of like confined location. It's not the the kind of not an open world, yeah, right. Not not a, or it is in a way, but not as sprawling as like the GTA stuff is. Um, it's not the same as like a lot of the sandbox games, but it's um, there's a new one out now. So the series in Japanese is called Ryuga Gotoku, which translates as like a dragon, and mm. so the. Um, the new they had the original series which i think was like six or seven games um and featuring like that protagonist and i never played all the way through but i of the japanese one and so I've been playing, I, they had it for free as part of the PlayStation plus subscription uh, a few months back. So I, so I got it, downloaded it. And it, put them into this kind of um bliss you know over the top setting so it's it's oh it's a lot of fun sounds interesting yeah it is it's really interesting and so i've been playing that dipping into that in and out over the past like two or three weeks or so so that's kind of like been my thing since she hulk ended because she hulk was my last big well, really into yeah it. the last big kind of streaming thing to follow and it yeah. was quite interesting oh yeah I love, that yeah yeah i love that oh, that was so much fun <laughs> um but today we're talking, as usual, when we have you on, we're talking about a, a DC animated project. And uh, you had an idea to, instead of talking about, it's not technically a movie, but in a way it kind of is. It's hmm. um, the, um, the, the first three episodes of Superman hmm. the Animated Series, which is a three-parter titled The Last Son of Krypton. 
and it basically is kind of like a Superman origin story movie. Yes, I will argue that it is a technicality as it was released on a clamshell VHS yeah, as, yeah. A, as a film <laughs> that you could rent from Blockbuster. We'll, we'll allow, we'll allow, yeah. Yeah, we'll allow. We're, counselor, I, will, I, I realize I'm on shaky ground, <laughs> Your Honor, but please allow me to present this to the court as it is probably, in my estimation, the best take on a Superman movie Mm-hmm. that we've had now don't get me wrong i love superman the movie the 1978 richard donner christopher reeve film i love it to pieces mm-hmm. but if you sat me down in an interrogation room and you put the hot lights on me and you said stacy what is objectively the best superman movie mm-hmm. and you line them all up i have to say that as much as superman the movie in 1978 might be my favorite I think the best one is this one right here. And it's it's quite good in my estimation. See, that's a that's a good question. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what I would pick as the best one if we're if we're mm-hmm. having live action and animated stuff all together. Yeah. Um I think I might lean more towards uh Superman versus the Elite or okay. um or Superman Unbound, I thought was really good too. Okay, Unbound. I've heard good things about. I've yet to pull the trigger on, so I might. I, I may have. I might have to watch it sometime, and then yeah. see if I have to reorganize things. So, I mean, oh, there's but, also yeah. All Star Superman as well. That's. Uh... I mean, well, All Star Superman kind of exists off in its own. Yeah, yeah. Thing because it's it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to. It would be like you know. Expecting, well, plus, you know, that's a very yeah. particular kind of Superman. Yes. It's not as quite as. Like if you're looking for more of a modern day take mm-hmm. on Superman, then I, I would not give you All Star Superman. But if yeah, but if, mm-hmm. if you're yeah, you're right. That's like it's a very specific type of Superman. Yeah, if mm-hmm. I was, but I think it would probably be a toss up between Superman versus the Elite or Superman Unbound. Um, for yeah. me, there. So let's go back and let's talk about mm-hmm. Superman the animated series for a little bit. Um, what's your history with uh, with this show? Oh man, like growing up in Nova Scotia, we were watching Batman the Animated Series for the longest time and having a great time with it as of course, Batman the Animated Series is one of the greatest of all. Yes. But when we heard that they were doing a Superman show, I immediately stopped dead in my tracks because I am a huge Superman nerd. Mm -hmm. So I was stoked to watch it. And I watched it uh, when it was coming out on TV um, I believe it was part of that whole brief period of like, where like the Warner Brothers shows were on Fox for something, for some reason, like you would see them occasionally with the Fox Kids lineup or something similar to that, and or Kids WB. Kids yes, WB. Kids that, WB. And, I remember that. Yeah, with, um, yeah. at least that's what it was mm-hmm. in my area. It was on Kids WB. Yeah, which Kids on, WB. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so we would see it there, and then eventually they packaged them both into the new Superman Batman adventures, because that right. was around the time of season four. And they did the world's finest movie with the redesigned Batman looks, which was pretty good. The Joker oh, yeah. was a little janky. Yeah, but, those yeah. those redesigns were weird because there were some that mm-hmm. were like completely on point. Like the Batman mm-hmm. design was such a step up. The Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne design too, such a step up. Like I hated mm-hmm. that grumpy brown suit thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it came to some of the other ones, like Robin, I, I couldn't tell. I didn't understand why they took all the the green out of his costume i didn't like that mm-hmm. and um i also didn't like what they did to tim drake it like that was just oh Jason yeah Todd called tim Dr- and i tim drake's my favorite robin so like that always yeah. me. Um, yeah it was hmm. uh and like yeah some of the creature de- some of the villain designs were just 
off. Like you had um, Penguin was a nice redesign. They brought him back to the more mm-hmm. classic look. But you, like with the Joker, I don't know why they got rid of his red lips. And they had the black eyes. They did I a mean, nice. They did a nice merger when they brought him in on Justice League, though. That was the nice. Yes, that was like that was a nice movie. combination of the creepier elements. The the look for season four of Batman the Animated Series was interesting. It was a unique design, but ultimately, I think it didn't serve. It made him a little too cartoony. Mm-hmm. Like the Joker should always have this. He should always appear to be, you know, fanciful. Right. But there should be this under underlying current of menace that they got back to in Justice League. Yes, absolutely. Um, but some designs were great. I mean, Scarecrow. They Scarecrow, Scarecrow was the one that I was like really kind of because I like the design, but mm. I don't feel that it suits that character. I feel it's interesting, and I do like it the pairing with Jeffrey Coombs. So I think mm. they've actually they they did a good job in making him actually intimidating. And the Mister Freeze redesign, the Mister Freeze one cool. was was on point. Yeah, very very cool. And the designs for the Superman characters are also really good in that they evoke the the Fleischer cartoon mm-hmm. so well. I mean, they already did that with Batman the Animated Series, but this was where they really had a chance to cut loose. And really did some unique redesigns, like both for, you know, Superman himself, you know, some of the stuff still stayed low, mostly classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Olsen got a kind of a 90s kid glow up. He got the mullet and they lost right, the bow tie yeah, yeah. in the camera. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought I liked yeah. what they did with Jimmy. I thought that it made so much yeah. more sense. I mean, I wouldn't understand why like this, this teenage or college mm-hmm. age kid who is walking around with the, with the sweater vest and bow tie. Exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't quite do it except in kind of like a, like in Batman, the brave and the bold, they do that because every character is supposed to be their idealized silver age self. So right. you can yeah. get away with that. Um, but yeah, the designs were pretty good. The new gods, when they brought in the new gods, mm-hmm. holy moly, like. One thing I will wow, say about the nice. Superman design is I didn't like mm-hmm. that they didn't have, blue eyes right because that's that's such an iconic part of superman and i feel like Mm -hmm. that was that was a big missed up especially because they it's not like they couldn't do it because they did it with batman with bruce wayne in the yeah yeah it's 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 definitely a wrinkle i you know i'm I'm a bit more of a hardliner my main thing was like where's the yellow s where's the yellow s on his there was a there was a reason for that because yeah yeah, because the animation yeah because it's too difficult (laughs) to animate the cape with the yellow s so that's why also um more the modern after superman returns like all the movies superman returns Mm -hmm. on because they use cgi capes with the flying sequences Mm -hmm. and they can't and it's so so difficult yeah if you have that yellow s in the back I know it's just part of me is just like that design is just so iconic that part of me just misses it. Just a little hard line part of me that Mm -hmm. just can't quite let it go. But yeah. And the fact that they, Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, the whole team, they basically took Batman, the animated series, the notes they did that. And they didn't necessarily do a complete 180, but they did a nice 90 degree pivot Mm -hmm. where a lot of that design and a lot of that, especially with Metropolis, like I particularly enjoy, you know, the the Gotham of the animated series is very much inspired by the Anton first designs from the movie where hell has burst from the pavement, Mm -hmm. but Metropolis is the city of tomorrow. And it's like, heaven has descended from the clouds. Like it it just looks, it's really good. It's bright. It's shiny. It's got all those iconic, like the daily planet globe looks amazing. Like they they just put in the work in the Mm -hmm. designs and the designs of Krypton are unique. And we'll, we'll, talk about krypton in a bit because mm. the first episode is basically superman's nowhere to entirely be entirely yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly 
Um, but yeah, the designs are great. And just the aesthetic of the show, they got the assignment. They understood that if Batman, the animated series is like, you know, some like crime and, you know, the underworld and, you know, dealing with these costume supervillain, yeah, supervillains, the Superman one deals with that as well, but it's much more, you know, bright and optimistic and upbeat and uh, really makes for a nice contrast between the two. So yeah, quite like yeah. That. absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things about this show, and I think one of the diff big differences between this and Batman, the animated series is Batman felt like it took, it borrowed from a lot more different eras of, uh, of the comics history. Whereas Superman, the animated series seemed to be heavily, heavily drawing on the John Byrne revamp from the, the post-crisis. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on that revamp on Man of Steel? Uh, well, I liked the revamp on Man of Steel. I actually was reading Superman comics in 1986 when crisis happened. So I actually mm. read whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and then I was like, well, this is the last Superman story. Obviously, everything's over. Like, we're done, aren't we? Mm. And, you know, and then, then when they relaunched with uh, Man of Steel, it was it was a revelation. I mean, you know, the John Byrne, you know, uh, Jerry Ordway, uh, Marv Wolfman, that whole stable mm -hmm. coming together and rebooting the Superman franchise. You know, I think I think it was a necessary move because I think a lot of barnacles had accumulated along the hull. Mm -hmm. um, granted, a lot of that stuff came back because a lot of people have a lot of affection for things like, you know, the bottled city of Candor, Supergirl, right. uh, Crypto, the Superdog, you know, that kind of stuff. And but I do think that that initial like, OK, this is the break. This is what we're going to do. It's just Superman. He's the only survivor of Krypton. He's not as godlike as he was in the Silver and Bronze Age. This is a Superman who can get hurt, who can get injured uh, in the course of his duties. And uh, they established very much that he was not disguised as Clark Kent. Clark mm -hmm. was the real person. Kal-El slash Superman was the disguise. Mm -hmm. And Lex Luthor as the billionaire mogul yeah. was, was a smart play because, you know, how many times can Lex Luthor escape prison and put on that purple and green armor and right super in the street so they had to do some things and i quite liked the, the redesign the, the bizarro story in that one is really mm. good yeah uh, i quite enjoyed it yeah there are some issues that i have with with man of steel i mean there are some changes that i really love i love the um uh like you said lex luther i love what they did with making him a businessman although if you look at like the early the, the 80s and the early 90s lex i think they they made they brought him too much into kingpin territory. I felt like mm. he didn't quite have that intelligence. He didn't, and he also was you know a little bit too much of a bastard, right? It was kind of like you know I mean he was just and there was like no redeeming qualities. When mm. we got into like the the President Luther area, which is when I started reading Superman comics regularly, and then probably from influence from Smallville as well with Michael Rosenbaum, I thought they did a good job mm. of making giving luther some sympathetic qualities which really helped his character a lot but like when i go back and i read like the burn superman or the or the early 90s triangle era like it it is hard to read the lex stuff just because he's like so much of a bastard it's like there's not it's, one redeeming thing about him yeah 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 there's no redeeming qualities in him whatsoever and i think that also stems from the fact that they decided to break with the previous convention yeah of like Clark and Lex having known each other in Smallville. Right, yeah, yeah. So they, they instead, you know, 
they broke from that and they broke away from the redeeming elements that I do think worked to the detriment of the character and just kind of made him like an evil corporate mogul. They didn't really right. play into his being a mad scientist until you started getting into the uh, clone arc where we got Lex right. Luthor II and then, you know, somehow he managed to finagle his way out of all that after, you know, after the whole Neuron thing, he got his body back. Comics. Mm. Um, um, but I do think that yeah I think you're onto something there because there's that great moment in the Grant Morrison Howard Porter JLA when it's during I think it's the Injustice for All arc but Hmm. there's a moment where Superman says to Lex you know goodbye Lex there's a good man in there somewhere Mm -hmm. and Lex is like you think so do you and just like that that relationship that they have I've always felt you know there's a great Superman story from the Further Adventures of Superman, which is a prose anthology. And Superman, you know, he's at the end of time, near the end of time. And like, he asks one question of this Oracle because he's been on a question. He's just like, will Lex and I ever be friends again? Mm-hmm. And the Oracle says one day. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's great. I, I, the tragedy of their friendship is one of the things that I think they brought back really well in Mark Wade's Superman birthright. Yeah, I, where, I thought I felt like yeah. birthright, it didn't touch on it as much as I wish it had. Mm-hmm. Like there was- yeah. It was because they had, and I think part of it just because they were so hamstrung by what was because it was supposed to fit into the existing continuity. Yeah, so you had this thing where, like, yeah, so where, like, where Lex did, pretends like he never knew he was never in Smallville and he never knew Clark and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that was that was taking things a little bit too too far, I thought. But mm-hmm. um, I like the idea behind it though. This idea that they were they were friends before mm-hmm. they had this connection, and and I wish we could have ideal if i was going to be relaunching superman i would be running with that idea the fact that clark and lex know each other were friends Mm -hmm. you know and and playing with that idea because i think that's that's such an interesting dynamic to explore yeah have you ever read um, have you ever read a joe casey's um adventures of superman run i believe i was dipping in and out at that time yeah okay so i'd recently um uh we, I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out because I'm not sure what his schedule is compared to what the schedule of this show is, but I had, uh, I had reread it and I was on Anthony Desiato's Digging for Kryptonite show. And we, and so I read it for that and we, we talked about it. And one of the things I really liked about that run was the way Casey depicted Luthor because it was kind of like this, he was like this super intelligent, you know, it was, he was, it was in the president time too, but he also had a lot of sympathetic qualities. And I think Casey was definitely influenced by what was happening on Smallville at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think that fundamentally, Lex is on the cusp of being a genuinely good person, but he can't make the Mm. transition because his pride messes with him every time. And as far as Clark is concerned, if they're falling out, he never fell out with Lex. Like yeah, Lex yeah. just disappeared. And they just, yeah. he dearly wants to have his friend back and he doesn't understand why Lex is doing all this. Like, yeah. It's funny. I started, so, I started rewatching Smallville recently. And mm-hmm. when you're watching the, especially the early seasons, it you're just, you're, I'm watching this and I'm just like, you know what? This is basically the series of this really nice guy, Lex Luthor, who comes to this town. He wants <laughs> to use his money to help everybody. And everybody's a complete and total asshole to him. And it's no wonder he becomes a supervillain. Exactly. Like the, the, the boulders just keep getting piled on and piled on and piled on until when he snaps, you, you totally understand. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm rewatching. I'm like, Clark's an (laughs) asshole. Lex is the hero of this show. Exactly. Oh yeah. Smallville Clark. 
Oof. Oof. You want to take him aside and just be like, buddy, are you good? Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you all right? <laughs> getting a little, getting a little bright burn in here. <laughs> um, well, and, you know, to take it back to this show, I think one mm-hmm. of the things that I think this series did really well for the time, because there was nothing else about like Lex like this at the time, is they brought back that intellect. They brought, they also had a lot of charm with him. Like, oh, Clancy, Clancy Brown's Lex Luthor is just like he's he's so sinister, but he's so charming at the same time. Oh my God, yes! And in this, like he just he walks onto that stage and he just it, just he like holds up his arms to get the mm. audience to give him more applause. Yeah, and I'm like yeah, that's Lex Luthor in a nutshell. And of course, like of course, he has the office that has the aquarium with a shark in it because mm. of course because it's Lex Luthor. <laughs> Because of course he's going to do that. Like he's just that little bit extra, and the the fact that his prototype weapon is called the Lexo Scale mm. Five Thousand. I'm like, oh Lex, oh like you can take the mad scientist out of the Silver Age, but you can't. Although one of the things that I think was a missed opportunity is, you know, I think they could have they should have taken it a little step further and called it the Lexor and made it the same color scheme. I nice. think that would have been a nice been a- nod. That would have been a nice nod, but I don't think they wanted to tip their hand to that. Yeah, soon. yeah. And I think that the payoff is a little better when we get to Justice League and he actually does build the suit. That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a pretty great pop. Um, but yeah, Lex and this, like, Lois. I mean, mm-hmm. Dana oh, Delaney's yeah. Lois Lane. Like, I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm coming in with all the hot controversial takes. This is the best Lois. No, like, absolutely. This is the, this Abs- is the best Lois. Like, Abs- I think, oh, I, I think. So good. Although I think um, uh, Bitsy Tullock gives her a run. Uh, she's uh, from Super- Lois, Superman right? and Lois, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair, fair, fair. But if I, like, mm, if we had to run like a, like neck and, it'd be neck and neck. It'd be neck know. and neck. It'd be I don't, neck and I don't neck. Know. Yeah, yeah. It'd be anybody's yeah. ball game. Oh, yeah, but, but like, you know, mm-hmm. well, going back to All-Star Superman, when uh, we mm. covered that on the show and I, was re- and I was re-watching it, the entire time I'm re-watching it and I'm keep thinking, I'm like, Oh, no, it wasn't that. It was um, Mask of the Phantasm, right? Because oh, Dana yeah. Delaney did the voice of Andrea Beaumont in that. And when I was watching it, I'm just like, that's Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really weirding me out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because when we're going to get to World's Finest, yeah. you have to accept this. Um, but when we get to that, we get Dana Delaney and Kevin Conroy in another romantic entanglement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so good, so good. But yeah, Lois, Lois is amazing. Oh yeah, and like um, one of my favorite moments in the animated series is, um, and it's not th- these episodes, but it was the mm. episode when Lana appears, and oh, yeah. they get to the end of that episode, and Lana's like, um, you know, you, you know, and she tells him, she's like, you deserve Clark, you deserve someone who's nice and caring. Then you've got Lois's voice booming over. He's like, hey, Smallville, get your butt in here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, their relationship is so great, and it develops so well over the course of the series. Mm. Again. This is another episode we won't talk about, but there's a whole bit where, like, I don't get how you always manage to get these scoops, and Clark just crooks his finger and is like, "Well, actually, I'm secretly Superman, mm. and I, I'm here just to look out for look out for disasters, and then come in and rob you of the byline." And just Lois Lane, without breaking a sweat, is just like, "You're a sick man, Kent." <laughs> and Clark's like, "You asked." Uh, so great. So uh, great. One thing, also, an, another an issue I had with the um, the burn revamp was I like the idea that Clark is the real person and Superman is mm-hmm. the disguise. But one of the things I think that got lost in there is they made Clark, they made things too good for Clark. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Clark has like, you know, he was he was a football star. He was you know, he's like this. He's this ace reporter. He's got he's got all these women falling all over him. Like he had Lana in, college, in high school was mm-hmm. in love with him. You had Lori when he was in university. You had this um, this other reporter who had like worked with him in Europe or something like that. Like mm-hmm. all these women are like falling all over themselves to be with Clark Kent. And and he's just like he's super confident, almost overconfident. And I feel like that. It, it detracts something when Clark has things go that good for him. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like when Peter Parker becomes a billionaire. You're like, this can only end in fire. Right. <laughs> Which, it can only end in Which it did. Which it did. Which the whole, the, the whole big time arc is sensational. But talking about Clark, I think the reason that they did that, but we're making Clark like, he's not mild mannered and, you know, um, beset upon like the Reeves mm. Clark. They make him quiet and they make him investigative. Like they make him look. Like, that's what observer. this series I think did a really mm-hmm. good job. Like mm-hmm. in the Burn in the Burn comics, he's just he's just arrogant and he's I think he, he he's mm-hmm. way too overconfident. He's way too brash, and I I didn't I don't like that about Clark Kent. I think Clark Kent should be someone who you don't notice him, right? Yeah. He's kind of like he's always and that would that's what makes him a good investigative reporter mm-hmm. is the fact that you you could be. You know, you could be like um, Stringer Bell, being like, "Are you ta- right, taking notes on a criminal conspiracy, tearing it apart?" And then there's Clark Kent right over in the corner. He like goes over the trash can, picks it up. Mm-hmm. Right, Absolutely. you never realize he's there. That that I think that's a good way. And I think it's it's a tragedy we didn't get to see more of Brandon Routh because I think he played Clark kind of like that. He in did Superman a really Cards. good job. Yeah, he 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 had the balance between them just perfect right and it was at once an homage to reeves but very much kind of its own animal right yeah yeah i think that's sadly i mean well because i think reeves's clark went too far in the other direction where it's like you know he's bumbling and he's tripping over himself and it's like you can't help but notice that guy and in both cases that's that kind of detracts from the purpose of the the clark kent of metropolis clark persona it's supposed to be it there the way I look at it is there are three versions of him, right? There's mm-hmm. there's the real Clark, there's the Smallville Clark, the guy he is with Ma and Pa, the guy he is when he's with Lois and the boys, or boy in the comics. Um, and then there's Superman, and then there's Metropolis Clark, and that's the mild mannered reporter with the glasses and the slick back hair. Mm-hmm. And that's I think I think what um the 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 burn comics didn't have a good handle on. I think that yeah, I think that. I think that plays into something that, you know, maybe maybe it was in the background, maybe it's just my read, but the Clark Kent of the Burn era, the Superman of the Burn era, is a guy who has had tremendous power thrust upon mm-hmm. him and is kind of feeling that out. Like the first couple of years of Superman's career in the post-crisis era, you watch him, you know, kind of deal with the fact that you know, he gets the crap knocked out of him like, mm-hmm. multiple times. Like he learns, he earns that humility. And by the time he joins the Justice League, by the time he becomes the Superman of the death of Superman, I think that his character has evolved to an extent. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I think that, and I think that with Superman, the animated series, they wanted a confident Clark Kent because they didn't want to make it, if you'll pardon the expression, too cartoony. So they mm-hmm. kind of took their inspirations from George Reeves. Yeah. Like in terms of the, he looks good in a suit. He's here doing his reporter shtick. 
And yeah, I think that's that's kind of the balance they struck. And I think they largely stuck the landing. With I that. think they did too. Yeah, with this, the because he's not overconfident. He's not too mm-hmm. arrogant. He's got a quiet confidence. Yes, he's got and a quiet confidence. Like yeah. he's 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 in the background and he's just. But then every now and then he's got those little moments, like when um, when you know Lois goes there and uh, Angela says, "What your your paper needs to send two reporters," and then she goes and then she notices there's Clark and then, and then she goes over to him. And she's like, "Hey, so." You know what have you got? And he's like, well, a shared byline, right? And he's and, and he's just he, he's got those moments when he just and it just comes out of nowhere. And I think that's mm-hmm. a good way to do it. Yeah, the bit where he and uh, we're kind of jumping all over the yard, but mm-hmm. the bit when he's in the the penthouse and he explains to Luthor, like Luthor is mad that the Lexoscale got stolen, and Clark points out that this could be a surprising financial windfall for you. You know, the, mm-hmm. they'll they'll make they'll want you to build something. U.S. military will want you to build something even bigger and badder. And Lex is like, that was amusing. Kent, mm. is it? I'll remember that. And like, mm-hmm. just like such a great moment. And of course, if you notice, like the beauty of this series, the, this this three-parter is that it sets up things that pay off all throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And every time that Luthor meets up with Clark, he always calls him Kent. Mm-hmm. It's so great. I love the, I love the little bits that are kind of peppered through this that we got to pay off later, so. Um, one of the other things about the Burn reboot that I didn't really like, and I, I didn't like that they kind of, latch on here was the depowering of superman mm. I, I get why they did it but i i prefer superman who is who, who is i prefer a more powerful superman not necessarily one who's mm. you know juggling planets or anything like that but yeah I, I i think he should be he should be more powerful than the other superheroes otherwise it, I... it, it's hard to kind of like see like why does he stand out Mm-hmm. I think, ironically enough, the actual creators of like that era, like particularly, mm-hmm. I think, like, I think, um, uh, blanking on her name, Louis Simonson. Louis Simonson, yeah. Uh, Louis Simonson, you know, um, John Bogdanovi, you know, that whole era of Superman when mm-hmm. they were really getting together. Uh, they had Professor Hamilton kind of explain Superman's powers prior to the fight with Doomsday and explain mm-hmm. that Superman's body is a giant solar capacitor. Um, but you know, the more he uses his power, the lower the tank gets. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what I think you should, the, the series should start with, because unfortunately Superman, the animated series starts a pattern, um, that gets picked up in justice league. And it's defined on TV tropes as the wharf effect where, mm-hmm. you know, wharf on star Trek, the next generation would jump in and try to deal with the situation and would immediately get his ass handed to him because he's one of the toughest characters on the show. So you've got to be like, so in Justice League, you know, or even in Superman, the animated series, the first big threat knocks Superman for a loop because we have to show, oh shit, this is serious. Because right. otherwise, yeah, yeah. you know, why, why, why are we here? Like, there's no jeopardy. The thing that I think that they could have done and probably should have done was show that Superman initially, when he's going at you that first time, yes, he is absolutely, you could drop a building on him. You could mm-hmm. like, you know, fire missiles at him. He'll just, you know, dust it off, no problem. Mm-hmm. But as the fight goes on, yes, he starts to have those moments where he does get knocked back in his mm-hmm. ass, or like he does get beaten down, or you start to see blood or damage to the costume. Like it just shows that if you keep him going, mm-hmm. eventually you can wear him down to where he is in a position where he is more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just me from the cheap seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, let's talk about some of the the beats mm-hmm. of it so you know like you said the first episode it's like the first third of this is entirely based set on krypton 
Um, now, if we're going to, we're looking at this as a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so looking at it as a movie, I think that's a problem when you've got the first third of it without the main character and it's completely set on, on Krypton. Well, I would argue that, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a danger we've seen in Man of Steel that mm-hmm. you can get a little lost out in the reeds there. But I do think that the the beginning on Krypton is necessary because it does allow us to establish a couple of things. Mm-hmm. It does allow, you know, for people who are like, well, yeah, I know Superman, but what's this take going to bring me? Because right. we need that because it introduces us to the father-son inheritance of a shared mm-hmm. evil in the form of Corey Burton's Brainiac, mm-hmm. which is a magnificent character. And we we get that. We get the depictions of Superman's, of baby Kal-El's life on Krypton. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could probably shorten it by maybe about five, ten minutes, like truncate it a little bit. But I do think that it serves a purpose, at least for this series, because, you know, for a lot of like kids coming up in, in the 90s who maybe not didn't read mm-hmm. comics, they have no idea who Superman is. They've only ever watched Batman. So right. this is their ground floor viewing. It might not work in an actual cinematic movie, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, I do. I do like the bits. I like, you know, action scientist, Doc Savage-esque Jor-El. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think this is a good yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I like the they did some nice things with Krypton here where mm-hmm. that was, again, something else I didn't like about the burn thing was they made Krypton too cold, too alien. And so it, it feels like, well, why would Clark even want a connection with this place? Exactly. And, uh, it's a planet you want to blow up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, they, they show it and it's, it's a nice place, right. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and they show Clark has a history there. He may not remember it, but he does have mm-hmm. a history there. Um, I also think that whole, um, birthing matrix so that he was tech quote unquote born on earth born in america so he's an american citizen i thought that yeah. was just like that undercut the whole refugee aspect of superman's story yeah iffy yeah yeah um so i didn't like that and but i so i and i like what they, they did here so he's a he's you know probably like what like a year or two years old at this point and he's mm-hmm. running around because he's walking he's running around although you know who knows maybe babies in krypton can start walking at six months <laughs> weird don't know yeah <laughs> um but and we get to see that you know Jorel and lara they're they have personalities which they yes. did it in the bird run we actually get to have laura have conversations with Jorel. yeah that lasts longer than like three seconds yeah so yeah. it's really good like but um one of the things that is interesting about the krypton arc is the fact that Jorel has a plan and it's mm. not a bad plan like yeah. he's like Look, we put everybody in the Phantom Zone. We send one person in a spaceship to Earth. We get everybody out of the Phantom Zone mm-hmm. and step three profit. Yeah. Of course, you know, Jor, Jor might not be thinking about the fact that, you know, a planet's worth of Kryptonians suddenly getting powers <laughs> on Earth might not be so great for the human race. But um, that's a story for Superman Adventures. Oh, he wasn't actually planning on, life. he wasn't necessarily planning on taking them all to Earth. That was just mm. what he planned for 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 Cal. Well, for Cal, uh, yeah, yeah, that might be the fallback position. But he was right. like, we can take them somewhere, we can get out, and the council is just like, you want us to go in there with our most dangerous mm. criminals? You're out of your mind. And of course, they all worship. They all worship mm-hmm. the one figurehead, topical, uh, that can provide <laughs> them with all the answers in the form of Brainiac. And of course, Brainiac. It turns out, who knew that combining brain and maniac might mm. lead to a, a computer program that might not be <laughs> beneficial uh so great yeah i do love that they made they tied brainiac to krypton in this like i absolutely i yeah. don't like the whole 
you know telepathic brainiac thing they did in the early 90s i i the, the whole mil- but i love this idea of brainiac as this like rogue ai who's trying to you know gather intelligence on all 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 available worlds and all that and and tying it into superman's origin and krypton i thought that was a really nice move it was a really interesting way to do that um i'm not sure how i feel about him intentionally misleading the council because i think Mm. then we're starting to get into territory of almost not necessarily he's he's not directly responsible for krypton's explosion but he's helping it along and i prefer it to be just more well, the thing about Brainiac in that Brainiac moment was actually wrong in that moment. Like maybe he was wrong about it himself. The thing about Brainiac's reasoning in that moment is that he is aware of Krypton's plight, but he knows that it's too late. Like yeah. there's no point. Like, and if he were to try to help the Kryptonian people, uh, they would have him waste time when he needs to get off the planet. And right. In his estimation, like he is the sum repository of all Kryptonian knowledge. And so he's just like, look, Sorry, y'all, but I'm out. I'll see you later. This no, is no, I, I totally understand his motivations. Mm. I'm just saying from, mm. from my perspective, just oh, from yeah, a storytelling yeah, yeah. point, I don't like the idea that the supervillain is somehow helping along this yeah. destruction. I, I prefer he, it to be just like completely unconnected from... I always I always hate those stories when they go back to Krypton. They're like, you know, this is, you know, this was the villain who was responsible for it. I never liked that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, Krypton does not need a murderer. Right. Um, Krypton is just a natural tragedy. It's just something that happened. Now, could you argue that you could maybe reconfigure it a little bit and just be like, well, Brainiac was doing his biannual upload into the satellite Mm -hmm. network and then saw that Krypton was exploding and it was just like, well, nothing I can do and just left. I would just put it at like, I would say that, you know, just my, if I was rewriting this, I would say that Mm -hmm. Brainiac sincerely believed that it was shifting the orbit and all that and it wasn't Mm -hmm. actually going to lead to the destruction and that brain yeah. actually wrong so i think that yeah. also enhances jor-el's character too the mm-hmm. fact that he he was smarter than the machine and exactly. that also gives brainiac a reason to hate kal-el too because it's like this whole mm-hmm. thing of like you know what the only person who ever outsmarted me was your father yes absolutely the one who got a one-up on me right yeah. right and i think that that also yeah. gives like brainiac a kind of Mm. personal motivation i think that would be a that was that's how i would do it anyway oh yeah i mean there's a there's there's a case you could argue for that sure uh yeah definitely and the whole escape from krypton is is a pretty powerful scene like Mm. shirley walker's music as they launch baby kal-el into space and the planet just blows up and and you know there's that great line from tony j playing uh sev m I think that's his name, but you know, the, the fact that soldiers have like corralled him because they thought he was Jorel escaping in a hovercraft. Mm-hmm. And so one of the soldiers is like, what is this? Another, another one. And then Sevem <laughs> is just like, no, the last one. Mm-hmm. And then the planet just explodes. And it's, it's one of those moments where you realize that, yeah, like the, the episode goes to show that Krypton was a nice place. There were good people yeah. there and they were all destroyed mm-hmm. because you just watch as the planet just turns into this, huge fireball of expanding green flame and then there's that great image of like the rocket moving through the cloud and then bursting free and then all these kryptonite rocks Mm -hmm. like superman is surrounded with death 
mm. and then escapes into hyperspace. It's it's a great sequence. And I like the fact that the rocket doesn't crash. It actually just lands. Because, mm. <laughs> of course, they, they wouldn't strap their baby into a rocket and just hope for the best. They'd have some kind of automated navigation system that's like, okay, this is a good spot to touch down. We're just going to mm. land nice and gentle. Like, yeah. It's, it's such a great sequence. You know, talking. You mentioned the theme, and I want to talk about the theme because mm. I thought... It, it was interesting how Batman the Animated Series used the Danny Elfman theme from the movie. Mm. And I was, I never realized it before. But then last night it just hit me. I'm like, wait, why didn't they do the John Williams theme for this series then is the mm. opening? I think that's one of those things where like Shirley Walker had originally had originally composed the, the theme for Batman the Animated Series. Mm. It's actually the theme for Mask of the Phantasm. Mm -hmm. Like there's a shorter version that was originally on the soundtrack album that was supposed to be the one that would run at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. um, I think with this one, Walker was given the chance to just kind of just go for it. This was okay. this was her thing. And I think Elfman at the time, he was of the, I think, I no, no, this is a tale told out of school. So take it with a grain of salt, the size of your desk. But mm -hmm. apparently he was under the impression that Batman the Animated Series was going to be a prime time animated series mm -hmm. and so he would be looking at a lot of residuals for the you know for doing the opening theme right so he composed it and put it together for that and then of course it went to daytime tv and that's where history happened oh it was a it was a i thought it was the same theme from the i thought it was the exact same theme from the batman 89 no it's actually kind of a riff on it like oh, the actual, okay. the actual uh, batman the animated <laughs> series he composed an individual piece of music for it that's oh, okay. kind of thematically similar, but just different enough to like, to, you know, get a like 90, 60 to 90 second blurb for the- Right, the right. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I never knew that. I always thought it was the yeah, exact yeah. same thing. Um, Again, don't take me as gospel. Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I always thought that, and you know, it, but the- the Walker theme, though, is so evocative of the Williams theme. It's great because it because it does yeah. the same thing that, it does, that yeah. John Williams does. It says Superman in the title. Well, Superman. even it even it has that. Yeah. It even has that. Um, like you know, in the in the in the Williams theme, they've got that. Right. They also have that that when it goes slow and it has like mm -hmm. that kind of like it has the same thing here. It the same exact thing. It and it's like timed almost exactly. It's just different notes, but it's the exact same structure basically. <laughs> Yeah, because she probably, Walker was probably like, well, everybody, like, John Williams already did it as good as it right. can get done. So let me just do a, a riff on, on that theme. But she's designed that, like, when she did the Justice League theme, she mm -hmm. gave every hero their own distinct theme. There's a, there's a lovely video someone did when, unfortunately, she passed away, where they incorporated all the themes that she'd done for all the heroes. Mm -hmm. Each one, like, The Flash gets one, Wonder Woman gets one, Green Lantern. It's all great. Like she, she really composed it to capture the essence of each character. And with Superman, the animated series, it's big, it's bombastic, it's confident in a way that the Batman, the animated series theme is more dark and kind of brooding. Right, right. Her version on it, yes, just so good. Yeah. Um, see, and you know, I think she touched on something that I think every one who makes a new Superman theme needs to keep in mind is that it needs to have that, like the. I think it was who did Z Zimmer did the score for um, Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Decent enough music, but it doesn't have that bombastic thing. Where you, I'm like, if you're making a Superman theme, you don't have any horns in it. I think that's a problem. Exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. I like the drums. I like the I like the riff. But Superman, when he shows up, that's when it's like, oh yeah, we're yeah, in yeah, for yeah. a show now because here you go. Like that was the one moment in Justice League 
where I popped. Mm-hmm. And when he showed up in the in the weed and cut of Justice League in the full oh, gear yeah. and the, the score kicked in, I popped like a WWE fan. I was ready. That- Let's go. <laughs> The treatment of Superman and the Whedon cut—that is the mm-hmm. only reason why I hold it above the Snyder cut—is just yes, of its it, treatment. It, it of edges out a little bit yeah. because because Whedon, much like with Captain America, he gets Superman. He yeah. understands Superman. I'm like, no, no disrespect intended to Zack Snyder. He's he's there to play, and mm-hmm. he did his Elseworlds, and there's no beef, there's no hatchets. But an objectivist can't really understand an altruist, in the right? Same way, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, he he tries, but it's just not quite there that's just me though well no it, 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 this is a different discussion but yeah know, exactly adam and i talked about this when we talked about man of steel where it's like there's mm-hmm. there's so much in there it's like you're so close but then you get into like the i let my father die part of it and then it's just like okay now you're yeah no no now you're okay. now you're losing this now you're losing the plot objection your honor objection yeah there's there's <laughs> yeah. absolutely there's a dozen ways you could save him but that's not the that's not where right. we meet well, the kents here and they are absolutely adorable yeah well yeah. uh another thing too um one of the things i liked about the burn revamp is that they show that superman's clark's abilities are developing naturally mm-hmm. as he grows up i think they kind of rushed that a little bit here and i know it's probably because of the time constraints but it's just like one day mm-hmm. all of a sudden boom he can do all these things out of nowhere and i'm just I think I would have liked a little bit more some sort of reference to the fact that there had been some buildup to this stuff before that. Yeah, like in, in the in the actual comics, you do see that at one point, like Clark is chasing a puppy out into the into the cornfield and mm-hmm. Jonathan accidentally hits him with the combine thresher and it's just like, oh God, Clark, and there he is just fine. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. His, his clothes are a little rumpled, but he's okay. And, you know, you know, like, she, you know, there's another bit where like, hey, your purse is in the other room, ma. And it's just like, well, how did you know that? Because mm-hmm. he looked through the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. you, you start to see the powers develop gradually. And I think that also with Man of Steel, they kind of jump the gun on that too, because all the super senses just hit Clark at once. I think and I, I think did it like more like, I think yeah. it was pretty good because they'd done the, yeah, I think maybe they did overwhelmed it too much mm-hmm. at one point, but I did like the way they kind of rolled those out a little bit. Yes, yes, and I do um, think that yeah, it develops well, gradually. I think Smallville did a great job of that, right? They had the oh, yeah, they had the ability, they had the benefit of twenty two episodes to cease it, so you could do it. But but mm. still, like that whole idea of like, okay, so he's in high school now, he can run really fast, he's pretty strong. That I think it would have worked better if you'd had some sort of hint of this stuff already being there instead of all of them just suddenly developing in one day. Yeah, yeah. If it were me, and if I were redoing the. Um... If I were redoing Superman, the animated series mm-hmm. for a new generation, I would get us to the point where he is in the Grant Morrison action comics run with Rags Morales, yes. where he yeah. starts off able to leap tall buildings in mm-hmm. a single bound. He runs really fast. He's next to indestructible, but he's not quite there yet. And he hasn't figured out that he can actually fly. Have you like read um, got- Have you read Superman Smashes the Clan? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that, they did a really good thing in that too, where they had the mm-hmm. they had the golden age Superman, where he was less powerful, and then they had this, and it was part of his character arc. Whereas yeah, as yeah. He steps more about his lineage and all that, his powers develop more. I, I really mm-hmm. liked how they did that there. Yeah, and there's the bit where he runs on the telephone wires. Mm-hmm. That's how he gets across yeah. Metropolis so fast. <laughs> I was like, that is genius. That is just genius. 
like, oh man, a good hero, like just knocked it out of the park mm-hmm. with that. Blue Yang, such a good one. Got a brilliant one. story. Yeah, man, yeah. you talk I, about it and add it an animated adaptation. That I know. Need. They, I was just like, about to say the exact ugh. same thing. We need an animated. Oh man, an adaptation of that we need just and that um, animation style. Oh my god. Also, Superman up in the sky that uh yeah. tom king did that one we definitely yeah need adaptation yeah of that. that'd be a good one yeah me and king sometimes we're not always on the same page <laughs> but that one i'm like all right that'll do king that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um although one of the things i did like about what they did here is and my problem with the the burn stuff is you know superman's kind of abusing his powers in high school right he's he's become and i know later on he says well you know i my powers didn't develop yeah. until i'm like come on Really, Clark. You're still really. You're still still willing. You're still winning all the trophies, and your powers never developed before. You think? Come on. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that that bit serves the purpose because John Jonathan has to take him aside and go, "Look, man, um, you are not from around here, Mm. and these abilities that you have, they're great, but you're using them to make people feel down. Like you're using it to put yourself." forward Mm -hmm. and that that version of clark needs to learn that first lesson like Mm -hmm. when he encounters the rocket and more importantly the kryptonite embedded in the rocket Mm -hmm. that's where he starts to understand that he's he's got some limits like even subconsciously and there's that great bit that pays off later with john corbin aka Mm metallo who's also in this played by the incredible malcolm McDowell, who crushes it like such smarm like love to see him and Mm -hmm. and it and Again, as I was talking about earlier, the seeds that are paid off later. Oh, yeah. When Corbin comes back and undergoes his metamorphosis, he becomes one of the more tenacious villains on Mm. the show. He just wants to kill Superman because Superman, in his eyes, took everything away from him, him and Luthor. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is my favorite depiction of Brainiac and my favorite depiction of Metallo. Mm -hmm. this, This show did such a good job of first off establishing those characters very early on tying them to different aspects of superman's origin story brainiac with krypton mm-hmm. corbin with superman's first big adventure in metropolis and then bringing them back later i thought that was brilliantly done the way they'd worked them over yeah and the genius of it is corbin's origin makes him a threat to both superman and lex yes and yes. actually gives them a common enemy that they have to team up and mm-hmm. defeat because you know Corbin is just such a relentless machine, literally, at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And in this one where he gets the exos lexoskel and is just like wrecking shop. It's a nice forerunner mm-hmm. for what will eventually happen because he is the man in the machine. Which we also saw in, yeah. in the Morrison uh, action comics, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That was a that was a great uh, that was a great variation on it. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is this is just such a oh man, this three parter holds together real it's, well. I watched a, it before. Yeah, it, it's it's it does a really good job of setting the scene and everything like most of the stuff i uh i i have are with it are, are minor quibbles here and there like i would mm-hmm. i would shorten the krypton sequence and i would probably divide up the the krypton and smallville sequence instead of having it all mm. krypton all smallville all metropolis i would have it i would have jumbled it up a little bit more okay and had okay. had like i'd open it up like that when they're when they're in metropolis and you know they're interviewing all the people and about like this this flying man and all that that's actually how i would open the episode the mm. the movie right the, yeah, yeah yeah i would i would flash back to these other things absolutely like we get to know clark and at certain stages we flash back yeah a little further yeah. and a little further 
and then you know maybe he's revisiting mon pod in the you know and goes into the barn mm. and we get the flashback to the you know to the ship yeah yeah and we get we get that moment because that that was an interesting thing where Lara puts away the little holographic interface that gives mm. Clark a chance to meet his his biological parents, which is just so touching because Clark's heart is absolutely broken because up until mm -hmm. this point, he thought he was adopted, but he just thought he was a normal kid. And then he finds out, oh, not only are you not human, mm. but you are the last member of your species. Mm -hmm. And all of that just gets dropped on Clark's shoulders like a ton of bricks. Like you understand why he shatters that beam post because he can't like he can't deal with it and his parents want to support him but they can't mm -hmm. they can't reach him in that moment it takes the discovery of his of his flight to kind of make him come to terms with the fact that his yeah. heritage isn't necessarily all bad so yeah. another thing i that um i really liked about the smallville sequence was they established that clark is very intelligent right mm -hmm. Right from the start, they're like, you know, it's like, oh, another another A for the boy genius. I'm like, I love that because I think so often Clark's intelligence is undermined. In a yeah, way. everybody just sees him as the yeah. flying brick. Yeah. Right, exactly. And the fact that, you know, he's he's a really smart guy. And I'm glad that they, they didn't shy away from that. They just went right into it right away. I like that part of it, too, because that's something that's so often overlooked. Yeah, he's like, I think been even, that way. Since I think even Smallville made that mistake. I think they they tried to play him up a little bit too much is just more of a not necessarily a jockey type but he wasn't mm -hmm. he wasn't like chloe was the brains of that show right Basically, and i think yeah. which you know and the whole allison mac thing aside thing i i i've all i hate that character i've always hated that character yeah not one of my favorites yeah um yeah, but the the genius and intellect and Hercules and strength is with mm. him since the 1930s. And there's that wonderful bit in Superman, Batman, where it's like Batman asks Clark, like, how did you know to come here? And it's like, it's called investigative journalism, <laughs> <laughs> which I always like, like Superman is not quite the genius that his father was, mm. but I do think that he takes mostly after his mother, who was a test pilot. Like mm. she's quick witted. Like he can put things together quickly and solve problems. Like so that's one of the reasons that Superman always has like in the comics there's always an inventive use of his powers like i'll reflect right. my heat vision off this and hit that and then you know do that kind of stuff you know superman thinks on his feet and everybody just tends to think of him as just this brick wall that just knocks through things and mm -hmm. knocks things down and i'm not saying that's not a fun time i enjoy watching superman beat up giant robots and you know kryptonite visioned mm -hmm. gorillas as much as the next guy but you know he's also a clever opponent and he's pretty clever in this one too like he yeah. gets some moments dealing with these bad guys which is which are pretty clever uses of his power yeah oh yeah um although i think some of the investigative side of things it, it felt like that side of thing didn't quite work well like he sees mm -hmm. the the casnian flag in the in the photo jimmy shows him mm -hmm. and he just figures out okay so lois must be there now so i'm gonna go with superman i mean i thought that was mm -hmm. kind of a leap in logic i think there would have i think i would have liked a little bit more investigative actions there exactly yeah but we've only got a we've only got we've only got we got a limited change. time yeah, yeah. but yeah but uh, i i get it like i would love and one of the things that you know one of my favorite episodes that features like Clark as the investigative poor reporter is the episode further down the line, the late Mr. Kent. Yes. I was thinking of the ex which exact same thing. Great episode yes. where he, in his narration, he's like, I wanted the win as Clark. Mm. I wanted the win as Clark. So he like drives in a car and he goes to investigate the guy on death row. And then of course, when the car gets blown up, he's in a situation, but he is that investigative journalist who does he's within the cusp 
mm-hmm. of getting this guy off of death row. And that's when the corrupt dude steps in and tries to kill him. Like he is a decorated investigative journalist and also a published novelist if you read the comics. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's a guy who has, he, there's there's a lot going on up there. It's not well, just, think, you know. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the things I love about that. Ep- I think that might be my favorite episode because it's that is, it, 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 if not my favorite, it's definitely up there. Um, but it's so memorable because, and one of the things I like about it is that it, it shows that journalism is not just this thing Clark does as part of his mask or to, to keep his ear to the ground, right? It's something he actually likes doing. It's his actual calling. And I, and just like the whole fact about like, and I love the aspect of that this series touches on the fact that he had traveled the world being Mm -hmm. like, that's my, if I was doing a Superman reboot, like what I would do is I would definitely establish Clark as a conflict journalist traveling around the world, being in all these different hot spots, And cause I think that's, that's one of the things I think man of steel missed the boat on where they had him traveling the world, which I like that, but they didn't have him doing the journalism stuff. Right. Yeah, it was just kind of like, a... it was, it's just at the end of the movie, he's like, well, I need a job where I can keep my ear to the ground. And that's, that's Silver Age Superman. You don't need that in the modern day. <laughs> that, that, mm, no, not when everybody has yeah. a cell phone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. the world in your back pocket. Right. Um, so it has to be, if you're going to have Clark as a journalist, it has to be something he actually loves doing. It's something he has to be called towards, I think. Yeah. And during that period where he's wandering, like he is a conflict journalist. And mm-hmm. weirdly enough, all those conflicts suddenly get derailed for some reason. Yeah, like there's yeah. a series of weird accidents that happen that you know slow things down for the oppressive Again, force birthright right they handled that brilliantly mm-hmm, absolutely having him you know travel the world and realize that you know maybe i want to be vegan because i see everything mm-hmm. has a life force around it and that's really you know uncomfortable for me like very interesting stuff in that series and and this one like I just appreciate that Clark manages to balance both the superheroics. Like Pa says it best, like Pa Kent says it best. Like, you know, Clark Kent is there to help out, but Superman shows up every once in a while and he can take care of some things. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll yeah, have to yeah. just oppose the, the, the two lives. Which I, I was like the, the note about, you know, Martha saying, I don't want people thinking you're like that nut in Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's delightful. That was one. <laughs> when I first watched it, that made me bark out laughing. Like it's, it's just such a good little, Inter, you know, mm-hmm. and it establishes that yes, Superman and Batman share the universe. Right. So, well, it, it was funny that it was happening at this time because at this time they were on different networks. So there was no, absolutely, yeah, there was no possibility of a crossover back then. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nice that even back then they were thinking, well, maybe if we just plant a little seed here, it might have something later on. And then they would, they would. One of the arcs of the show is eventually introducing people that will show up later in Justice League. Green yeah. Lantern, we got Aquaman, we got The Flash, like mm. just really, really fun stuff. And in this episode, these episodes, so many guns are hung on the wall in advance of what we're eventually going right. to get. And yeah. I think that that's, that's super great. And the, yeah, just just so good. This show is, mm. I can't stress it enough. It's so good. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is mm. uh, Tim Daly, his performances. Oh, yeah. So like, I love his Superman. I think mm-hmm. one of the one of the issues I have is I'm not noticing a whole lot of differentiation between the way he voices Superman and the way he voices Clark. Mm. Yeah, that you would think that you know the disguise may fool people, but surely Lois Lane is not so thick as to yeah. not recognize the difference in voices. So I think. Um, George Newbern, um, 
I think he did pretty well with the differentiation. I think his his Clark had a little more of a higher register mm-hmm. when he played the character. But I, I can't recall that, his his Clark, so yeah, I can't remember. His Clark, his Clark is a blink and you miss it because Clark mm-hmm. isn't largely involved right. in, the, in the proceedings. I think uh, I think my main memories of that are when they're on the run mm-hmm. uh, during the Thanagarian invasion. Right, right. So there's yeah. some bits with him disguised as Clark. But I think that, yeah, with Tim Daly, yeah, I think the portrayal, I think it's largely just a decision that they made where it's like, well, you know, uh, George Reeves didn't have to differentiate his voice when mm. he was Clark Kent and Superman. So I guess they were kind of trying to play to that. And I, I get it. I mean, you know, they couldn't really have him be too, you know, too, you know, higher register or just, you know, clumsy Clark, mm. like that sort of thing. They wanted to convey a different, a different Clark for a different time. Yeah. But yeah, I think they, I think they could have done something more like it, it's just, oh, yeah. especially when you look at what Conroy did with Batman and Bruce Wayne and how he differentiated the two. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that was just a, it was either just a, a decision from the producers or maybe just a conscious mm. decision on Daly's part. Yeah. But um, you know, again, he, his portrayal of the characters is just that the disguise is just mainly in the service of just like, let me help mm-hmm. people. Let me do my investigative journalism. And you know, if people I feel figure like- it out, I feel like a lot of actors don't put the same emphasis on that difference between Clark and Superman that they would put on the difference between like Batman and Bruce Wayne, because you see this. Yeah. happen. It's not just daily. It happens with a lot of actors like, mm-hmm. you know, Dean Cain didn't really differentiate. Well, Dean Cain was basically cardboard as, as Superman anyway. So, um, but, you know, but even like outside of Brandon Routh, like even, you know, Henry Cavill and um, uh, Tyler Hoechlin, you know, I love both of them. Cavill mm-hmm. got shortchanged, but the bad script, but even still, and like Hoechlin as well, they don't do much differentiation between Superman and Clark. I think with Hoechlin's Clark, Hoechlin's Clark is just very enthusiastic and that, very, yeah, yeah, up, that, and very, and very bright. Whereas his Superman tends to be a little more grounded, a little more calm, a little more mm-hmm. sedate. Yeah. Uh, I think that <laughs> if I had to guess, I think that, you know, Clark really likes being Metropolis Clark because then he can just really lean into his inner goober and just mm-hmm. be you know, just absolutely, you know. That is something I love about about Tyler Oakland's yeah. Clark. He's such a dorky dad. He is such a dork dad and he loves every second mm-hmm. of it. Like he loves being the dad with the dad jokes and like yeah. kiss me on the chef. Like he would have that, he would have that barbecue apron mm-hmm. ready to go. Like he is. His Superman, his Clark Kent, like his Clark, for lack of, a, he loves being human. Like he loves, mm-hmm. he loves, he loves his life with his wife and kids. Like he's very into that. He's very enthusiastic um, in a way that makes his Clark Kent into the mild mannered, yeah. you know, clumsy doofus that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with the daily portrayal, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a different animal, but yeah, I do yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it's funny now that I'm, as I'm getting older and there are all these different, ver- I'm finding there are different aspects of different performances that I like in different contexts of Superman. Like mm-hmm. Christopher Reeve, I think works great as like the, the, the Superman before he has any other kind of connections, like with Lois mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like he's, when he first comes to Metropolis and all that and all that. Um, and I look at someone like Hoekland and I'm like, well, okay, this is the, um, rebirth era superman right when he when he's married to lois got the kids like that's i can't imagine christopher reeves in that role as well as i can imagine uh tyler hoekland yeah yeah his superman has 
<laughs> for lack of a better term, big dad energy. Mm, like, yeah, uh, yeah. His Superman is great. And the, the, the beauty, like what you said, you really kind of captured lightning in the bottle there. It's it's very much Superman is like this this character that's very much like a diamond. Like you catch the light in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That all the interpretations kind of build and level on each other in such a way that makes it really makes the character really fascinating yeah. after like 80 years oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay um anything else you want to mention about uh last son of krypton last son of krypton like it is a real favorite of mine i rewatched it before we recorded and um i have to say that yeah as as the as both a self-contained sort of its own experience and as the beginning of the superman the animated series proper uh, I really think it's great. And I also wanted to point out that uh, this series came out in 1996, I believe. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Uh, it got here way before Iron Man and offered us our first post-credit bump in a superhero show. Yeah, I that's think. right. Yeah, which, which brings it when Brainiac makes his debut in the mm. flesh, as it were, uh, with those poor aliens. <laughs> like You're just like, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I've almost forgotten in the midst of all this swashbuckling super adventure. This is an Alan Burnett, Bruce Tim Paldini joint. <laughs> you might want to buckle up because here comes some stuff. And it starts to build from there. The next episode is A Little Piece of Home, which introduces... No, and that next episode is The Toy Man. And then the, right. the Little Piece of Home is the one after that. Little Piece of Home is the one after that. Oh, man, we didn't even talk about The Toy Man. Like, you talk mm. about redesigns? Yeah, yeah. Oof, that one is genuinely creepy. And I think that one... Well, that was what also such a because especially when you were looking at what Toy Man was being done with at the comics at the time because that was when he was yeah, in like uh, that was when he yeah. was in child murder mode. And all that, so yeah, and so, then they established that like Jeff Johns had to come in and go, no, that was an android that was specifically <laughs> malfunctioning. Here's the real Toy Man. We're all cool. We're all cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the design and the way he speaks and like yeah. the, the storybook and all that. Oh my I mean, God. that I think that is the creepiest toy man, right? Is like that, that is the creepiest toy man. Like, why hasn't that one made like the jump to like? I they, mean, I know like there was a because like he when Jeff Johns had done um, mm -hmm. one year later, I think it was there was oh, yeah there was like a toy man, but it later was again an android or something like that. Comics, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Comics and comics shows. So, yeah, but a really great redesign. And most of the villains, yeah. And also, like, never really got a chance to touch on it because she's not involved in this episode. But Livewire mm -hmm. is also the oh, second, yeah. second character to make the move from the animated series to the comics page. So, yeah. you know, both of these series had their impacts in various Well, they ways. also had, yeah, and, you know, you had Harley Quinn and then you had Livewire. Mm -hmm. You also had um, Mercy. Mercy Graves, yeah, like, Mercy Graves uh, showed up. Basically, um, you're updating the whole idea of Lex Luthor having like a a gal Friday or like a, a right hand mm. man, in, in but instead of Miss Teschmacher and Otis, who are you know bumbling comic relief, you've got mm -hmm. this cool, confident, you know, mm -hmm. badass who can break your fucking arm. <laughs> Exactly, can hold her own. Yeah, and in the comics was an Amazon. For some yeah, reason. yeah, it was her and her, her sister. I can't remember her name. They're both yeah, Amazons. yeah, yeah. Mercy and Hope or something like that. Something they like were, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. this series, if anyone hasn't watched it, and um, you know, our whistle stop tour of it kind of jumped all over the yard. But if you want to watch it, I would highly recommend it. It kind of got lost in the shadow of its predecessor. Mm -hmm. and also its successor when justice league rolled around but it's so good and it ends on such an interesting note in that 
the stuff we see at the beginning of this episode where it's like, yeah, big guy, you're the best, go for it. Mm-hmm. And then when Darkseid brings it all crumbling down around him, like it's so good. The arc of those four seasons, just amazing stuff. I would recommend it most highly to anyone. If you haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to watch it, seek it out post haste. Was it three seasons? Oh, I think it was three seasons. Maybe I'm I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, it's three seasons. I'm sorry. Justice League was four seasons, I think. Justice it, League with um, yeah, yeah, because it had because yeah, then it, Justice because League it was Justice Unlimited. League Unlimited. Yeah, right. Ugh, the dating is all over. Yeah, <laughs> Batman Two was basically mm-hmm. four seasons, like because the, the the first season yeah. was daily, so it was like sixty episodes mm-hmm. in the first season, and yeah. all the other seasons are like ten, twelve episodes. It, pretty much, yeah. The first season was like this is for syndication. It's like the real Ghostbusters. The first right. season is like sixty episodes, and you're like, whoa, let's all take a breather here. But really great stuff in those. So, but yeah, I mean, well, that first season did such a great job of, and the fact that it was all these because you could watch that. It's got a Simpsons-esque quality to that, like that, or or Seinfeld, where you Mm. could put it on, if you have them synced up in some app or something, and you put it on random, you'll never get lost, right? Because each episode is very self-contained. Absolutely. And this is pretty similar to that. There's not really a lot of episodes that carry over from each other. Pretty similar. There's a little bit of carryover, like when he- A little bit. After he defeats Brainiac and he gets the the fortress stuff and all that. Right, Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the final arc, which is, of course, right. when it all hits the fan so mm-hmm. and sets the stage for Justice League and the George Newbern trail. Although I will say that one of the things I didn't like about, because I've been thinking about this a lot, because every time people mm-hmm. talk about when, when Man of Steel defenders um, are defending, they always bring up the, um, the Superman Shazam episode of Justice League Unlimited. Yes, the clash. Yeah. I fucking hate Superman in that episode. I hate yeah, Superman is a gigantic dick in that. He's episode. such a dick and he is just so petty and just like, I'm just like, I don't blame Shazam at all for not wanting to join the. No, team. no, no. Yeah. I am. I am on the same page. Yeah. As Captain Marvel, please hit him yeah. again. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause he's just, I, I hated what they did to Superman in that. Episode. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, and I don't mean to cast aspersions on the writers of the show, but they, they obviously had to have him be aggro. So we get to the point mm-hmm. where they fight. Yeah, and I do think it ties in a lot to the fact that, yeah, Lex is on is on Superman's case all the time, but he's doing it in such a passive aggressive way, and slowly keeps pushing him and pushing him and pushing him, because he wants him to snap and get to that yeah. Justice Lord place, because he'll finally have the excuse to take out the alien that he's hated all these years. Right. So he's totally working a psyop on on Superman. So yeah, but yeah, I understand. Like I understand the pullback from it because that speech that Captain Marvel gives that's that's pretty much the speech that I would give, yeah, to Superman if he was if he was acting like that. Like Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Great. I mean, I mean, I love Just League and Just League Unlimited, but that mm-hmm. the the portrayal of Superman is something that, that sticks with me, especially in that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's the one, that's the one sore point. That's the thing that like they were kind of moving into kind of a squadron supreme territory. Yeah. They were kind of exploring like, are these characters going to become the Justice Lords? Mm-hmm. And they kind of like, they threaded those those plots a little bit, but then they ultimately had to let it go because if they become the Justice Lords, I mean, the whole show is over, right? right. What are we going to do? Jump to another Earth? So, But I, no, yeah, and that's like, I, I, I'm so tired of those Superman gets corrupted by power. Now stories. stay with me. What if Superman was totally evil? That's a, that's a radical idea that's never <laughs> been done before. God. Oh boy. It's, it's the like, most... Well, it's the most annoying story, most annoying, repetitive story that everybody thinks is original. I know, right? And it's just like, 
look, I get it. And I'm not saying that you can't tell good stories with that. I mean, mm. I, I initially, when I first heard of the injustice game, I was like, miss me with that. Absolutely. Mm. Miss me with that. But then, um, the nice young man tom taylor wrote that series yeah, yeah. and the oh. comic is actually good yeah when i explains when i read um a review of that first issue and they talked about mm-hmm. um how superman and you know was brainwashed into killing the joker basically or tricked mm-hmm. and all that and like just like i'm like this is you don't have to do that that sounds ridiculous but it was the mm-hmm. same thing with um superior spider-man right when i heard about that i'm like that's yes. the fucking idea i've ever heard in my life and then I read it. I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, this is actually really this good. This is actually genius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting. Like Superman as an antagonist figure is understandable because as we've grown up and as we've mm. matured to a greater or lesser extent, we become suspicious of people in power. Right. Even the fictional ones. Right. But I like but the, I, my preferred idea is like not power corrupts, but power reveals. And I think mm-hmm. I want to see more stories that focus on that. And I think that's a good way to, to show the difference between Superman and Lex, right? Superman has all this power and he uses it for good. Lex has all mm. this power in a different way and he uses it for corrupt purposes. Oh yeah, like that last scene in the episode where right. in the trilogy where, you know, Superman shows up after defeating John Corbin and, you know, the whole thing was an elaborate ruse to get this mm-hmm. weapons to Kaznia so that L- Luthor could line his pockets. And then Luthor opens the window and just basically lays it out to Superman. Like, look, my technology built this city. Uh, my will runs it, and two-thirds of these people work for me, whether they know it or not. Mm. And how about you help me take this operation global? Mm. I could make it very much worth your while. And Superman is just floating there yeah, the whole time. Silent. With his arms crossed, just staring at him. And then finally he cracks, and then he throws the thing at him. It's just like, I'll be watching you, Luthor, and just mm. crushes it and takes off. And that, to me, is just like their juxtaposition, like, Lex used to be the king of the hill mm-hmm. and now he's not anymore. And so that like that whole bit where he's like, I'm not finished with you. And so, yeah, that builds their relationship and really yeah. starts the whole juxtaposition. And that's right. the kind of Superman that I like where he's, he's this moral exemplar who points true North. That's, mm-hmm. that's my take on Superman. Yeah. 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 Well, I like mm-hmm. that. Um, taking it back to, to Supergirl and to, to Superman and Lois um, mm-hmm. when like when he confronts John about the fact that John's storing kryptonite and, mm. and it's like, and in a second he goes from like, you know, you know, nice friendly Superman, everybody get, gets along with everybody to being like very stern and serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I love that. And also, but also when he has a similar type of thing with Sam and, and he tells Sam afterwards, he's like, you know what I, you about those kryptonite weapons. Sam's like, I know I'm going to destroy him. He's like, no, don't. We yeah. need, and I'm like, that was, Mm. that's superman understanding that need for it exactly he understands the need for contingency in the comics it's great because he takes luthor's kryptonite ring and gives it to batman he's like yeah yeah look someday i could go insane i could be mind controlled Mm. i need to know that if if things get bad there's somebody out there with the power to put me down yeah if it's that bad and like that's the beginning of when they truly start to become like brothers yeah because they're yeah. bonded over over that so yeah mm. good stuff good stuff okay all right stacy well, why don't you tell people where they can find you oh well you can find me on the fanboy power hour podcast we release uh every wednesday um we my brother ryan and i we sit down we talk about geek culture and you can also find me on twitter at at stacy hd s-t-a-c-y h is in herald d is in david and yeah i just mostly just uh, post about nerdy stuff there too and talk about whatever's on my mind so yeah, by all means, feel free to swing by. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Always fun when you have you when you have you on back.
Yeah, yeah. World's finest, everybody. Yeah. Keep an eye out for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we already did that. We did that one already. Oh, you did that one already? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Bummer. Yeah. But that it's was, real uh, good. That was one of the first episodes we did um, uh, with the new format after Derek's passing. Oh, actually. right, right, right. right. Yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, keep, watch this space. I'm sure we'll, we'll end up talking we'll about We'll definitely have space, something so. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget, you subscribe to the Patreon. You get these episodes a week in advance. And you also get access to the uh, Superhero Cinephiles Book Club companion podcast. Um, and all that's at patreon.com slash superhero cinephiles. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the superhero cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the superhero cinephiles book club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into. I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.